Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to your favorite sports podcast in the Metro Detroit area. It's Peeing Up with CNV. I'm your host, Connor. As always, with another primetime Monday night recording session with my co-host and the V of CNV, Vladdy. What's going on, man? Um, not much. You know, back well, back at work after kind of a long weekend, but there's really kind of no beating around it. I had a good weekend. Everything's good, but it's. It's all about Tom Izzo and Michigan State basketball today. Um, it's just it's it's at a tipping point. Uh, I'll turn it over to you if you have anything kind of noteworthy on the life side before we get into it. But I I, I can't preface it. I can't sugarcoat it. I, I'm ready to get into it. Yeah, no, not no. I was just going to talk about the weather, but that doesn't sound nearly as interesting. <laughs> as Tom Izzo and what the dogs have done to us this past week. So let's get right into it. Yeah, uh, Michigan um, State's going to kind of be the the main topic today. Um, they go 0-2 this week, losing two home games to two, um, I'll call it bottom barrel feeders in the Big Ten this year in Iowa and Ohio State. Uh, I think Ohio State specifically, that was their first road win in over a season. Uh, they yeah, fired they, their head coach this year. Yeah, they, they were actually – it was either a program record or it might have been even a Big Ten record. They were at like 27 straight Big Ten losses or some obscene shit like that. I don't remember. Don't quote me on that. I I don't remember the exact terminology. And to go beyond that with Ohio State, it's not just the fact they have a interim coach who's in his third game. They were missing the battle kid, which is one of their best players. You look back at Iowa, they had one of their better players in foul trouble early. So, yeah, we played two teams which are which should be clearly inferior to us on our conditions in the in to in multiple different facets the fact that we were at home and the fact that they were missing coaches players and whatnot on their side and you go out and lose both of them yeah that is that is the worst week of michigan state basketball that i can ever remember outside of obviously like an individual tournament loss like i'm talking multiple games in a week they all went wrong given quality of opposition what might have happened this is just objectively the worst week in a basketball for michigan state that i can yeah, I think there's a couple of storylines that we have to hit here. Um, I guess I'll start with some of the less emotional stuff um, in in terms of coaching and some of the play from some players. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about, uh, Tyson Walker hasn't looked like the same player in, in about two weeks now. Uh, a guy that was averaging 20 points a game, I think that's now down to 17. Uh, he struggled against Ohio State, especially in the second half. He missed, I can think of three or four at the top of my head. Uh, and that's been huge. You, I mean, we want to talk about how guys aren't performing. Jade Nakins is inconsistent. We'll get to the center spot. A.J. Hogart has not been the same player this season in general that he, he was the prior two, in my opinion. Uh, really, the only consistent play I think you've gotten in the last month is Malik Hall. And that's saying something. Yeah, you know, know what we think of him. Podcast was about Malik Hall. Yeah, the one thing about Walker that I want to mention, we'll get into this because I think there is a direct correlation. Is yes, some of the shots aren't falling, but also the lineups that are being played around him do not allow for those shots to pop uh, to fall. Just playing him with a bunch of non-contributing zeros on the offensive end makes it a lot harder for him to do what he needs to do. It's the same thing I've screamed about with the Detroit Pistons and Cade Cunningham. You got to surround, you got to be able to space the floor. It's 2024. You got to be able to space the floor. And I don't want to go too far into it yet because I kind of maybe want to touch about the actual game specifically before we get into Izzo, before we get into lineups, before we get into specific players. Um, Obviously, it's kind of sad because we had so much discourse about the Iowa game when it happened, like between friends and talking. And that's an afterthought because the Ohio State game happened four days later. I, I don't even really remember the Iowa game anymore. Yeah. I, I, I remember complaining about the fact that 24 years later, Tom Izzo still cannot play or play, cannot coach against a simple high school zone. I remember screaming about the fact that we still cannot rebound. We still cannot hit our free throws. And what are you going to do? Yeah, I think Iowa specifically, and this is going to be a big topic again, uh, is his insisted on the two-center lineup, which when a team is playing a 2-3 zone, that's not how you beat a 2-3 zone. You, you beat a 2-3 zone by getting to the middle and hitting those mid-range jump shots. And that, that opens up stuff down low. That opens up kickouts up top. Uh, but you beat it by getting inside it and hitting those mid-range shots. And uh, 
uh, but he kept insisting on throwing out two center lineups with Kohler and Cooper, Sissoko and and uh, Kohler as well. And I don't think Xavier Booker played at all the second half in that game. Um, we'll get into that later as far as what happened yesterday. But, yeah, it was a poor effort. They were down a lot at the half, and then they came back, kind of came, did a typical comeback thing where they, they got down to, I want to say, four. Um, but it was just a game where you couldn't weren't capitalizing on opportunities. Um, whereas the game Saturday – or Sunday, sorry uh, – you just absolutely laid on egg in the second half. And that falls on coach Tom Izzo, but it, I think it also falls on your scores. Like we call uh, Tyson Walker. You can't score one field goal in the last five minutes of the game. You can't score nine points in the last 10 minutes. Do you, want to get to be- in- Do you want to just get into it now? Because you're, you're bringing up valid points. It's kind of the same thing I said with Malik Hall. So much of that has to do with what lineups were played in the second half specifically because when Madi Sissoko and Carson Cooper are both on the floor, it is three against five, and it it becomes harder to score. And you kind of saw it in the first half. When Xavier Booker was there and he can stretch and he's sitting on the line, on on the three-point line, and the other team center has to be out there with him, that opens up the lanes for A.J. Hogarth to do what A.J. Hogarth does best, which is drive. That opens up the ability and the space for Malik Hall to kind of put his back to the basket and hit a turnaround jumper. That opens up, you mentioned kind of the drive and the kick with kind of a zone. Same thing happened. The first half of the Ohio State game when Xavier Booker was on that floor, it was night and day because of spacing, because of what the defense had to guard. And... And the second half, that was completely torn apart. Uh, we'll get into kind of some of the, I'm going to call it politics, behind what I think happened. Um, we'll get into that later. But I just think that the lineups that were on the full floor, they're they not obviously, they're not direct because, like I said, sometimes the shots don't fall. And he, I mean, we'll start with Tyson Walker. He was getting some of those shots that we've seen him hit before. You know, clock running down is at the top of the key. And you know what? Guy sagging a little bit off me, afraid of a drive. I'll put it up. We've seen him make that. It's not like it's some circus turnaround 600, 360 shot that just is never going to go in. They were getting relatively good shots. It's just they made it so much harder on themselves with the lineups that they played. They shot themselves in the foot. And then, and and then, and then, instead of getting into a car to drive to the hospital, they decided to crawl through broken glass. It was it was pathetic. Yeah, uh, I, you you raised a great point on. Uh, I think this is the biggest storyline is obviously Booker plus eleven in his minutes, uh, and gave you seven points all in the second first half. Uh, he's got his first career start. It was something of a change, something that Izzo is very slow to do. Uh, he's insisted on not changing, whether that's in his approach with the transfer portal, whether that's with his approach with NIL, whether that's his approach with uh, how he develops and how he uh, treats his players in general. Uh, so it was interesting to see Booker even get that start. Uh, Jay Wright made a good point on the podcast, on the podcast, on the broadcast. It's something <laughs> that you said. Uh, uh, you just said is that Xavier Booker being able to shoot you out more and stretch gives you more options solely uh, because my only, the only issue I have with Booker doing that and it does is, and I noticed this a little bit too, which is, I guess, criticizing the good, which I am allowed to do at this point uh, is that you're not, you're very vulnerable to not getting an, uh, having a shot an offensive rebound without your center down there. Can um, I make an argument? I don't want to, I don't want to kill you. I'm saying it's not like we get offensive rebounds anyway. This team hasn't rebounded in 12 years. So, I mean. Well, that was that was, that was was kind of what I was going to finish with in that point. Oh, like, well, the, the problem with Booker, you can look and say, is he's he's not strong enough yet, clearly. He's not perfect yet. He hasn't played per- – he hasn't even really played that well. He's just played better than the garbage that they've played instead of him. Uh, and when those – you got two guys that literally have no post moves. Mari Sissoko is so hard to watch. The basket could be 10 feet wider, and he still wouldn't be able to put a hook shot in there. Uh, that Who cares? It's a net loss no matter who you put down there that you might as well put Booker in to stretch out the floor and give you more options you know, around position since you're not getting anything inside regardless. 
Yeah. Um, and this is where I said the politics. We're talking about it now. I might as well bring it up now. I, I'm honestly going to sit here and, and this is, this is conjecture. This is slander, maybe even for you, for for this legal guy over there I'm talking to right now. But I genuinely believe that Tom Izzo put Xavier Booker kind of to start that game hoping that he would fail so that afterwards in the press conference he could get up there and say I told you so I know my players there is no reason to start Xavier Booker and then when the key minutes come on in the last 10 and you're blowing a lead that Xavier Booker helped you create that you don't put him back other than you wanted him to fail because you want to sit here and pound your chest screaming this is my way this is my way I genuinely believe that he did that hoping he would fail just so that he could sit there and yell at a reporter saying, I see what happens in practice. This guy defends. This is toughness. I value seniors. Even though all of my seniors are so bad, they couldn't start for U of D Mercy, which is one in 40. It's, I, and again, you, will never, you can't prove it. There's no statistic there. That is just what I believe. I think Tom Izzo has hit, the, I mentioned this back in the fall, he has hit Brandon Staley levels of defiance, in my opinion, where He's sitting there pounding his chest. Oh, I'm the defensive guru. I'm going to figure this out. And I, I, I think that's what he's done. I, I think on top of that, I think with Xavier Booker, yeah. when he gets into the game, I'm sorry, uh, one last thing. I think Tom Izzo puts binoculars on him with some tunnel vision and just waits for Xavier Booker to make one mistake without actually seeing what has happened for the team. Michigan State could be on a 35-0 run with Xavier Booker on the floor, and he would wait for him to miss one box out, give up an offensive rebound, put back dunk or lay whatever you want, and he would sit there and personally take him off the court by the collar. That is what I think he thinks of that man, and he just wants to, he just wants him to fail so he can prove it to the people who are saying he should be starting. It's that bad in my opinion. Yeah, and it's and it's something that I think I've been on here week after week. And kind of defended him for it because I've thought Xavier Booker has looked horrible, quite frankly, all season. But it's to the point where you were getting such little production from the other guys. And you've now seen four years of Sissoko do this. You know, you now have seen a, almost two years of uh, a Carson Cooper specifically. Jackson Kohler, I, you say what you want. This season's kind of a wash for me coming off what's, you know, not coming back until February. Uh, still out on him, I think. But uh, to literally have what you, yeah, what you said is so perfect. Even ex- Booker's in there, uh, and he's making mistakes, uh, some mistakes that is. But he's contributing to a five-man unit that is going on a run that has a fourteen-point lead at one point in the second half. It does take a rocket scientist to. Go, okay, well, I got to leave this lineup in. This lineup has momentum, even if he's in there making mistakes. And I just think it's so much overcoaching, so much pressure. He, I feel like he almost puts on himself now with the media and that he's so combative that, like, it's my way or the highway at this point that it's, like, it's pressure upon himself to overcoach. And it's something that uh, maybe the stereotypes of he develops this to – uh, later in the season, they're ready for March or that he develops guys over f- four years or that he's this you know developer that I think that he has it so far in, in his head that sometimes it's what he thinks is developing is not always what's best for the team, but he's doing it at the stake of his reputation or what he feels his reputation is. Yeah, did you did you see the quote uh, where they asked him? They obviously asked him in the post game presser, and obviously I'm kind of shocked that the Michigan State even allowed a reporter to ask this kind of question. So I guess good on the reporter. But did you see them ask him about Booker versus Soko and the answer he gave, or no? Uh, I believe so. But you want to you want to reiterate it? No, because that would add four minutes to this podcast. He basically turned into a United States uh, presidential candidate on stage where he turned into word soup, a bunch of answer, a bunch of talking points and uh, elevator speeches and key buzzwords, no actual substance. And he basically kept going back to the, oh, my God, well, in practice, this happens. Well, guess what, dude? You don't win games in practice. Right. Why don't you watch what happens in the game? And your team was better when Xavier Booker's in the game. 
I, I don't I don't remember the exact numbers. Unfortunately, the the box scores that I like don't have this, but I'm pretty sure Xavier Booker was the best plus minus player for Michigan State last night. He was a plus eleven. I want to say Monty Sissoko was a minus sixteen. <laughs> Perfect. And yeah, and he sits there and he screams about, "Oh, practice, man, practice! What are you practice? What?" And you mentioned kind of the the how bad Xavier Booker looked to begin with. That's probably fair. You know, he, he came in thin. Was he ever going to be this guy you come in and drop 30 minutes a night from from night one in the Champions Classic? Probably not. But as you mentioned, when you look at what he's competing against, it those are the three worst centers in Michigan State history. Genuinely. Yeah. So there's only one way Xavier Booker is going to learn and get better, and that's by playing. And whether Tom Izzo wants to do that or not, I don't know. I, I I told you just I told you five minutes ago. I genuinely don't think he does want to give him time and minutes. I think he wants to turn into this defiant, screaming at clouds, it's my way kind of old school mythology or methodology. And I I, you know, I kind of said this. Xavier Booker deserves so much more than being stuck behind the three worst centers in Michigan State history. He does. I if he transferred uh, as soon as the as soon as the season ended, if his name popped into the portal half an hour later, I would support him. Yeah. It, Nor would I be surprised. I'm sorry. Say that again. I said, "Nor would I be surprised yeah. if he actually does." Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's kind of. I mean, that's kind of for me at least about the the game specifically. That's the that that's kind of the synopsis of the games. Then there's the next part, and that's kind of the bigger picture and the bigger problem. And we are now on year four, an entire cycle, an entire class of players that Mister Develop and Mister March has had his hands all over and has supposedly been able to mold to his way, and they are awful. And this is where kind of the next thing goes of. Is Tom Izzo done? Is Tom Izzo washed? And you know my thought process. I, I've said this for two years. You've been, you used to laugh at me. I think you've started to come around. I know a lot of people used to laugh at me in 2022 when I said this guy was cooked. Everything that made Michigan State special for 15 years from the late 90s to the early 2010s is gone. Everything. There is There is no more rebounding. There's no more hustle. There's no more leadership. There's no more work ethic. Obviously, I don't remember. I'm not going to sit here and say that at seven years old, I was gifted enough to analytically break down basketball games. But I at least remember the phrases that used to get thrown around. You will not out-rebound the Michigan State team. You will not outwork a Michigan State team. You will not out-hustle a Michigan State team. You'll not out-coach a Michigan State team. And for the last four years, it seems like all of those things happen on a nightly basis. And, yeah. and this is kind of where the Izzo excusers, which I... I, I don't really understand it, but they're like, oh, well, part of that's on the pl- or that's on the players. It's like, who do you think recruited them? Who do you think didn't develop them? You couldn't litter in East Lansing without Tom Izzo knowing about. It. That's how much pull he has at that university. How is anything not his fault? And yep. there's the people who are like, oh well, I, I I saw some of the other defenders. Well, he doesn't handle substitutions. What are you a head coach for if you're not making substitutions? What what are you doing? Uh, I- I will say on that one, uh, most schools do usually have an assistant that's truly in charge of the the, the rotations. So it's, if you're it's the just head, one yeah. last thing for the head coach to keep track okay. of during the They usually typically have a plan that obviously Izzo is approved, but it's in the assistant. It's the, okay. it's the white assistant that sits next to him. So that, then let that me actually ask, in charge of looking at the clock and stuff for that stuff. So then let me ask a question. This is obviously not directed to you because you, you're on my side. How can you possibly be an assistant coach at the Michigan State basketball level and you come up with the idea of, I'm going to put Cohen Carr, Mati Sissoko, and Carson Cooper on the floor at the same time? That is two against five on the offensive end. How do you do that? And Tom, back to Tom Izzo, this is the same thing I said about Kyle Shanahan once they blew another Super Bowl. At some point, it comes back to the guy at the top because you're the one who approves of this stuff. You allow this mediocrity right. to happen from the substitutions. You allow the lack of development. Now, talk about what used to what used to make Michigan State special. We used to turn not we used to turn a kid into the pros, give or take, every other year. 
And I'm not talking about your Jaron Jackson juniors where he could have gone to Hawaii for all we cared and we all knew he was going to the league. I'm talking about the Xavier Tillmans, the Draymond Greens, the Bryn Forbeses, the guys who showed up as under-recruited, underrated guys, and Tom Izzo put them into the league and got them paid. That doesn't happen. Xavier Tillman is the last guy we've put into the league that would fit that mold. And before that, it was probably Denzel Valentine. Yeah. <laughs> everything this guy used to do doesn't happen anymore. Everything. I think the problem with me is that, for me, is that uh, this group specifically has arguably been the worst in this four-year run, besides maybe the the true COVID year. Uh, and this is the year that the, this is the big developing year. You have four seniors and a junior that start yes. most nights. Yeah, that I so guess that. That could be maybe the one little saving grace of your right of the 2020-2021 team was that was a team that had just lost Tillman and Cassius. Their leadership was gone, so they were in the process of developing new ones. So maybe there, there's your, oh, here's your free pass. There's absolutely no pass for four years of this. I mean, we talked about how, how valuable um, experienced guard play is in March and in the season as a whole doesn't seem to matter because A.J. Hogarth's too busy trying to flex on kids when he gets a layup when in the first half, but he doesn't want to make a play in the second half. It's just you could tear every single one of these guys apart. Um, honestly, I kind of feel like doing it. Um, Tyson Walker, we've said it all the time, as gifted as he is, he is absolutely a beta. He hides. The confidence is like it's there when shots are falling, but – there is no confidence if if it's like, oh, I need to put up a shot or my team needs a basket. The only guy who's comfortable enough of doing that is Malik Hall. And like you said to begin with, that is a very scary situation coming from, for, for at least for us specifically because of what we think of Malik Hall. And if that's your most, I don't want to say arrogant, but if that's your most clutch player, you're in trouble. And we see a team in trouble. Um, I guess as far as the tournament outlook, uh, you went from what was probably going to be, they were kind of on pace for a seven ish seed. If they, you win those two games, say you lose the Purdue game. Uh, now you look at a team that I don't know how Joe Lenardi still had him as a 10 when I checked this morning. I think they're probably a last four out right now, personally, Maybe that's because I like I'm already banking Saturday's game against Purdue as a loss. So you sit there at 17 and 12, nine and nine, and then and go, well, where are we at now? Type thing. Yeah. So yeah, I, you now have to win. You now to guarantee a spot. I think you now have to win both the last two games of the season, or beat Purdue and win one of them. Yeah, I mean, honestly, maybe I'm being a little bit harder just because of my feelings on Izzo and this team and what I in an ideal world would like this team to do and that's miss the tournament um I think you have to win the last two assuming Purdue is a loss and I think you have to probably win one or two or two in the Big Ten postseason tournament just to be safe because the one thing that I've seen this year is there's a lot of those kind of mid-major bubble teams which as good as they are if they don't win, because, um, I mean, you've got your Indiana State, your James Madison, you've got your guys in the Western Coast Conference. I think St. Mary's right now is kind of your quote-unquote lock to get in. If those schools go start going the wrong way and maybe lose a, a postseason tournament game, they could end up stealing your spot in the tournament. Like, prime example, if Indiana State doesn't win their tournament and doesn't have the at-large bid kind of – or if doesn't have the automatic bid secured – I'm not going to be – I'm not certain how you can pick Michigan State ahead of them considering Indiana – or, oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking about James Madison, not Indiana State. If James Madison okay. is – I was going to say. Yeah, my apologies. Uh, if James Madison – James is, Madison is no longer a tournament team, by the way. But they're not? They're up to like – they're up to like four or five losses now. I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess those smaller schools do have to play by different rules, but – all right, maybe moot point then, but I just think that you're going to be sitting there and it's going to be another one of those years, kind of like the 2021 year where you don't want to be the guys sitting Saturday or Sunday of that last weekend, hoping all of the 
the big mid-majors win their postseason tournaments. You don't want to be the guy who's sitting there praying there's not an upset and suddenly St. Mary's is taking your automatic qualifier. That's all I can say. And that's why I would say beat, win four more games for the rest of the season. Win four. Put it that way. I, yeah, I think that's that's a little high, personally. Uh, I think they're kind of – I guess I guess I would say you need you, you can't go ahead and – I'm assuming we're going to be somewhere in the, like, what, seven seed in the Big Ten tournament, so that puts us at playing, like, an Iowa again. Uh, you can't – you just can't lose that game on a neutral site, too, though. Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, like I said, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think that you can necessarily – not get in like that, but I just think that you need that second win to get off of that kind of, like you say, the first four out, last four in type thing where you're praying for for lack of upsets on championship weekend. That that that's yeah. Kind so of I guess I, I guess I guess I'd agree with that if you're, re- and that would be for to not be get a playing game because you're last four and you play a playing playing yeah. game, right? So like that would be not to play a playing yeah. game. I think. Yeah. Well. We'll Which, see. Um, for debate, if you count the tournament. Yeah. Um. It, it's kind of funny with the Purdue thing. Um, not that I want to sit here and preview this game, because what am I going to say? Oh, my God, they're losing again. I don't know if you saw this or heard this. Do you know the last time Michigan State has won in Mackey? Oh, I, 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 I'm I, well documented as saying that is the hardest place to play in the Big Ten by far. And I know Breslin's tough, and maybe not this past week. But Mackey is a tough environment, especially since, I don't know, the last five years, Purdue has been re- like a, a very elite program, except when it comes to winning tournament games. Yeah. But well, again, back to the original question. Do you know the last time Michigan State's done it? 2017. No. Uh, later. Like farther back. Oh, okay. 2011? Uh, closer in between. 2013. One more. for uh, 2014. So... Keith Appling and Gary Harris in 2014 were the last kind of leaders of a team that beat Purdue and Mackey, which is really, really, really sad because that's a decade. And I understand with the the way the Big Ten kind of expanded in the schedules, maybe we haven't played in Mackey every single year just because you don't play every team twice anymore because there's too many games. But that's not an excuse. You can't go 10 years without winning at, at, at someone else's venue. I don't care who they are. Uh, uh, and I would not even – I can't think of, like, maybe the 2014 to 2020 Purdue teams. I can't think of them as being anywhere near the teams they've had the last three years. Uh, the late so – the late, the late six 20- years of you should have been beating them. Nah, the late 2010s teams with, uh, with Isaac Haas, they were pretty good. Okay. But, yeah, that's – you're right. They did have a little bit of a. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want to call it a downer. Just there was a little bit of kind of between Robbie Hummel and maybe Isaac Haas. Matt Painter just didn't find a seven foot tall foreign guy. Yeah, uh, there are. It'll, I think the last storyline is uh, what does Izzo do after that? Because it's a weird one for me. Because how do you justify not playing Booker? But I would be. I can't believe I'm saying this. I'd be terrified to play Booker against Zach Eady. and would actually be more <laughs> more confident with Mounty Sissoko playing. Him. I mean, yeah, again, um, I, I I don't even. You're probably right. Um, Zach Eady probably has 150 pounds on on Xavier Booker. Maybe that's a slight overstatement, but yeah, I don't think he would be able to. He would be able to do anything. It would be watching like a piece of paper trying to blow in the wind. It's just like you're gonna get pushed around. Like, yeah. End of. Um. With that said, but yeah, I don't think any of that matters. Um, Edie or not, Sissoko or not, Booker or not, this team's just not good enough to, I don't even think, compete with Purdue. Now, yeah. with that said, they seem to kind of show up for random games. Maybe they'll decide to show up. Maybe some shots will fall, and maybe they can keep it close into the second half, and maybe we'll get interested in the second half. But I, I fully expect another loss, 17-12, and 12, and what are you going to do? Yeah. I think that puts a bow on Michigan State for now. Um, uh, around the college basketball world, actually a pretty interesting weekend, uh, I thought. A couple of interesting games. I mean, you had Kentucky put up 117 in regulation. Uh, you had Baylor, uh, Houston, which was a great game. 
uh, UConn getting back on track, destroying Villanova. Uh, but the biggest storyline, I think, uh, is the Wake Forest-Duke game. Yep. Um, the latest, I guess, exhibit C, D, E, whatever you want to say on uh, court storming. I think we're going to have different opinions on this. Are we? Um, I think so. Obviously, the clips are out. It, it looked like at first go that Wake Forest guys were – or guys, fans, students were – getting in the way of Filipowski. Then you see the overhead shot, which I'm fully convinced they really only have for this type of situation because I've never seen it used other than a court storming event. <laughs> yeah. um, is that it looked like maybe Filipowski was actually the one shoving and trying to trip people. He goes down. It doesn't seem like the injury is very serious. And then you kind of have the aftermath of this. And I think part of the reason is this is Duke. Uh, like I saw Jay Williams, I saw Jay Buis say the most outlandish things that we should Jesus. that we should start arresting these people. And I think that's just a purely like this is a Duke thing. Um, yep. But I do think it is somewhat of a problem. Here's my opinion on court storming. I don't really like it. I'll be honest. I know it's a part of college basketball. It's fun to do. Um, I'm a huge believer in unless you're a mid-major – Act like you've been there before. Act like you've won a big game like this before. Stop at Wake Forest specifically was favored in the game on, on Vegas. Like Wake Forest is going to be a tournament team this year. So I, I don't know. There is a level of act like you've been there. Unless, of course, we're talking like Farley Dickinson against Purdue. Uh, then, I, well, that was a tournament game. So they wouldn't have done that. But, you know, you get the making. Um so, yeah, that's my general thought about it. Uh, my next thought is if a player is getting touched, I think he's 100% allowed to to push back, personally. Uh, I don't really hold it, especially at the college level. These are kids. Um, but it's – I don't know. It's This is where it kind of gets into the weird lines for me once you get on the court. It's like, should we be arresting college yeah. kids – for running onto the court. I also like, don't like, I never did it as a student, uh, never did it as a fan in general, but it's like, you go out there and for 30 seconds of fame and you're out there and you maybe touch one of your favorite players and that's it. Uh, it's over, but I don't know, other than it looking cool on TV, it doesn't really do much for me in general. That's my main thought. Yeah. So, um, I think we. I don't think we have fully different opinions. Um, I have no issue with court stormy. I know you're a little bit more on the don't have fun side of oh, I think you've been there. I think you should absolutely be able to storm the court if you beat kind of a high ranked team. The way I don't know, do. but even even this year's Michigan State team should not be storming the court against anybody. I mean, that's because they're never going to beat anybody. Like Spartan fans shouldn't. I think you're never gonna okay. beat anybody. Well, also, <laughs> okay. no. <laughs> um, I, I yeah, see, I, I disagree with that. I think the situation, situation. If you're, if you're a worse team and you're playing some top ten, like you're right. If you storm the court for beating twenty three rank in America, maybe. But you're pl you're playing this if it's a rivalry game or if it's a big, big kind of. Oh, here's Houston walking into town. They're number one in America. We knock them off. You should absolutely be able to have fun. Now, with that said, you are absolutely correct where if you if you have fans starting to target the players and attack the players, it is different than I think the two instances we've seen this year. Obviously, the two big ones are what Filipowski happened and then the Caitlin Clark incident against, I think it was Ohio State. Um, looking back at those videos, the Caitlin Clark thing, I think, was incidental. Okay it's unfortunate that it happened and maybe some precautions can be taken to protect the players, but it's not like someone's walking up to sucker punch these people. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a, there's a difference and I don't get, you mentioned uh, Jay Bielis and oh, Jay Williams who have the Duke kind of thing stuck. They're, they're so mentally not in reality when it comes to that. So yeah. Arresting a kid. Are you out of your mind? Um, but he wants, I, I think, Jay Williams. I think Jay Williams quote was, we should detain them on the court. Yeah, and issue them citations. Oh, how uh, that would only escalate the situation. Yeah, probably. 
No, and I just want to go back to the two things because like I, I I agree with your point where, yeah, if someone's sitting there and you see videos of them two-hand shoving you or throwing a punch, absolutely, by all means, I agree with you, you should be able to push back. But I think that that doesn't happen. These fans, they like, like you said, they want to go touch their favorite player or go jump on the logo in the middle. Now, in, now in, in years past, we've seen videos where the other team's coach, when they know it's coming, he just pulls his team off the floor. He's like, game's over. Just going to yank my team off the floor. You want to inbounds the ball against nobody so the clock runs out? Go have fun. I'm getting my guys off the court. Obviously, that only works in certain situations. You can't have your team pulled off the floor if you're still playing in the last two seconds and you miss a buzzer beat or the other team makes one. But that's one way of kind of protecting the other team. I think there is a level of can you just sit there and have them wait so they can get off the court? Maybe. I just think that – the other thing is I think there is a little bit of an overblown thing because it was Duke. I was looking at a statistic. There is an average of three court stormings per week over the last three months in college basketball. We've only had one instance where we're talking about something in the men's game. We obviously had the Caitlin Clark one. And I'm sure there was some, maybe a couple other court, court stormings on the women's uh, NCAA side. So if you're telling me that we are nearing 100 court stormings or 150 court stormings between both the men's and the women's, and we've had two instances, that's a little different than sitting here and trying to kind of make it this some kind of everyday occurrence. I, I don't think it's an issue. Could you go? Could you think of better ways to maybe protect the players? Absolutely. Maybe they should do that. But this idea that people want to ban them is stupid to me. This idea that you're not the kids can't have fun is stupid to me. I just I don't I don't really see it there. Yeah, uh, I think yeah, that's where I think I'm kind of in between. So you can't just say to this because you make a great point with the that there's three on average a week towards the end of the season, and this is just one. In- no, they didn't say just towards um, the end of the season. Obviously, it a was- high rise program. It was three per week for the entire season this year is what they've averaged. So they probably have a hundred. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Like I said, this is not a, oh my God. Yeah. 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 I guess my next, the, the, my, I don't know. The only point I disagree with is I still think my act like you've been there point is like, you mentioned top 10 teams. Duke has seven losses this year and they're a top 10 team. Like, these aren't the uncommon occurrences anymore. Sure, they're... but the number's the number. If I if I see number eight Duke pulling into town and I beat him, I'm jumping on the court, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I guess I I said Wake Forest a decent year. I think they're they're right in the hunt for the tournament, but like they're not exactly a team you expect to see. In you want to know a fun? So... You want to know a fun Wake Forest statistic? I I was looking at this. They're fifteen and zero at home this year. Wow. Good maybe thing you play they, a lot of home games in the tournament. Maybe that's why they were favored. Yeah, that, that could be. That's crazy. So that because I want to say I saw they were 17 and 10 or something like that. So that means they were like, got off the road. Yeah. Like you said, smaller school. We're not not going to win some road games. Yeah. Uh, I think that's all I got for this for the storm court stuff. Anything else in college basketball this past weekend? Um, no, not particularly. Uh, kind of getting ready to get into the the Red Wings. Yeah, so that's kind of our last topic for today. It's just a a Red Wings, I guess, recap of. I don't think I've mentioned them for uh probably a month or two. I think the last time I talked about them was around the holidays when they went on that crazy bad losing streak. And since then, they have been anything but that. They won six of seven going into the All Star break, and they've won, they're six and two since the All Star break. It's good for thirteen and three in their last sixteen games. Uh, obviously, last night I think is the culminating moment for this team. Big overtime win. Chris Chelios' retirement jersey night in Chicago, while also being Patrick Kane's first home game at the United Center since then. How does the game end? Patrick Kane, breakaway, overtime, top shelf, showtime. Uh, And since coming over to the club, I think people early on were a little questionable about his speed and kind of his moving after getting hip resurfacing surgery. Uh, He went down with an injury in mid-January, missed about almost a month. 
but has come back since the All-Star break. I think he's got eight points in six games since he's come back. He's now at a point per game. Uh, he's been the old Patrick Kane, quite frankly, and at 35 years old, it's interesting to see. Uh, his future in Detroit, I think, is somewhat up in the air. Uh, I, I think he's here for the season now, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if they don't sign him, but I wouldn't be surprised if they do sign him uh, this offseason. So that's Patrick Kane. Uh, the rest of the team, I mean, has just got – you've gotten big contributions. Dylan Larkin's having another over point per game year. Uh, Lucas Raymond is going to be right around 65 points in a contract year. He's only 21 years old. He's looked – he's gotten better every single season. This is his third season. Uh, I still think there's some holes in the back end. Yeah, I'd like to get another another defenseman. I'm not sure where that would fit in, considering they just have like four guys that you would call a fifth defenseman on a roster. Uh, so I'm not really sure where that would fit in the lineup, who would be in and out. Uh, you would like to see them get maybe another talented D-man. Uh, and other than that, it's Alex Lyon is the other big story for the Red Wings, uh, a guy they signed at the beginning of the year be an up and down between the minors and the NHN. He was a 29-year-old rookie last year for Florida. Uh, got them into the playoffs on the sick run. Uh, he he got high. He ended up losing his job in the playoffs, um, but he kind of got them there. They were a wild card team, ended up losing in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, he's came in, and Billy Huso, who's been hurt pretty much all year. James Reimer, who's a bad signing in general, has also been hurt. Uh, and Alex Line has stolen the show, uh, and he's been great. He's given them saves when they need to. Uh, it's kind of all coming coming together. It's been a great 2024 for the Wings. Uh, they sit in the first wild card spot right now. It's them and Tampa in the wild card, uh, and then you got about six points, and then there's about five teams that are all right there. Uh, so there's no means that uh, they're for sure in. Uh, I think they're also about four four or five points away from any of the top three teams in the Atlantic. Um, so they would have work to do if they even wanted to get into one of those non wild card spots. Uh, but they are very much alive, very much a playoff team at this moment and have a lot of momentum and are doing a lot of great things uh, up and down the lineup. Any questions, I guess, for, for, a, for a bit of more of a uh, hockey casual. Yes, absolutely. I do have a couple. So, Let's start with the – I want to start with the goalie thing because I think we talked a little bit throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs last year where it's like how much of a difference does having a goalie who can stand on his head make for like a team in terms of their own confidence and maybe the team they're playing against of, oh, my God, no matter what we throw at this guy, we're not scoring. Or is maybe that – because like I know the Red Wings do play a lot of high-scoring games on both sides. So yeah. I guess how would you kind of quantify the impact that he's really made? Uh, I I don't know. Well, it's, it, I think it's the impact is more. He hasn't been. I'm not necessarily saying he's been a top five lead for us this year, uh, but he's came in and given us reliable options when you had you know both of the two guys he planned on being your one and two go down with injuries for most of this season. Um, he's been. I, I, if you want to get statistical, he's been like slightly above average. I'd say. Okay. Um. But in general, the answer to that question is the goalie is everything, especially come playoff time. If you can get a hot goaltender, like you said, it adds so much confidence going down the lineup that it just starts to kind of, I think, spread like wildfire when you got a goalie that's standing on his head, mm -hmm. especially come playoff time when you know and can rely on a guy to get saves. Okay. Um, I guess another one I would have, and this is maybe where I don't fully understand kind of how the hockey kind of transactional system works, but... I think I've kind of seen in the past, is there any moves that further that they could make to kind of bolster the team and kind of get them ready for a playoff push, whether that be said, isn't there some kind of free agent signings you can do past the deadline or can they bring players up? How does that all work? Or could there be more help, I guess, uh, what I'm trying to say? As far as deadlines, I think the Red Wings are going to be buyers. I think they'll make a move. Uh, it looks like from everything I hear media-wise, Iserman, fully intends to make a playoff run with this team this year. Uh, whether that's a big splash, like Pittsburgh's got a, their number two guy right now, Jake Gensel is going to be a free agent this off season. Pittsburgh is more or less kind of in the wild card hunt. So will we see, you know, him make a big move for that. That would be a big contract. 
you would want uh, some insurance that you're going to be able to sign him long term and not just as a rental. I don't think, unfortunately, they're quite there where you see them sign somebody as a rental or get somebody in a trade that is as a rental. A pure like Patrick Kane to the Rangers last year was a pure mm-hmm. rental for you know the last 25 games and then the playoffs, and then it was to see ya. Uh, I don't know if the Red Wings are quite enough of a cup contender to justify sacrificing some future cap hits for the, for a move like that. Uh, but I look to see them get somebody. There's a couple of names that I've seen that um, some young-ish guys that would be uh, sign and trade value for us. I think like I look at Noah Hannafin in Calgary as a defenseman. Uh, Chris Tanev would be a great addition too in Calgary. I mentioned Gunsel. There's a couple of names I've seen in San Jose, Anthony DeClaire. Uh, so I think help is on the way. Short answer. As far as after the trade deadline, uh, you can't really sign. You, I guess you could sign a free agent, but I'm not sure who would be a free agent in March that you would want to sign that would really be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the one thing that will be interesting to see what they do as far as prospect-wise this deadline is Jonathan Berggren. Um, who's been up and down a little bit. He's um, a 98. He's kind of tearing it up this year in Grand Rapids and has has played well in limited instances he's gotten with the uh, the big league club, I guess you'd say. Uh, I've heard a lot of bad teams, bad teams as in rebuilding teams, uh, have a lot of interest in him as a prospect. Um, so do you trade him now? for somebody that's going to impact the Red Wings roster today. I think that's a name you'll probably see gone. Um, I don't really think you're tr- you're trying to trade Casper or Edvinson or any of these guys you drafted really high the past couple of years. Uh, but those are some names I think the Wings will be looking for. And I look for them to make a big move. I, I really do. I think they make one of the bigger splashes this trade deadline. I think Eisman wants to get uh, in the playoffs. And I think it's already felt how big of a presence the Wings are when they're good. It's so much better for this is there's obviously some bias with this because we're from Detroit and we feel it a lot more. Um, but as an original, these original six franchises carry so much weight around the league and they're just so much better. Like the Cowboys or the Packers, these old historic franchises do carry a lot of value when they're good. And I think the Wings being in a position to make the playoffs this year has been felt around the league. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the last question I really have, and this is going to be me slightly being a smartass, you mentioned they have kind of about four guys who could be a fifth defenseman. Is that kind of like Michigan State rostering three centers who are worthy of being a water boy? Yeah, it's, okay. it's essentially the, not quite the, that in level of incompetence, but like <laughs> they're like they have four guys that are, like I said, pairing defensemen. So I don't know, it's a little different because like, all six guys play like we're basketball. I can sit Mati Sissoko for yeah. 15 minutes if I want to. Um, but yeah, it's just a lot of at very average defensemen um, yeah, besides I, um, Cider and that top pairing in Cider and Wallman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just really wanted to kind of take a shot at Michigan state basketball one more time because they, they're despicable and they, I despise them. Yeah. I, I got that. But Showtime <laughs> is electric. It's a great time for the Wings. They Not only are they uh, winning, but they're, they're fun to watch. They killed the Blues on Saturday, and then obviously Showtime does Showtime things. He's got two overtime goals uh, in their last three, t- three games. So fun stuff for the Wings. Uh, now that football's over, I'll kind of kind of do it. I, we won't quite do the state recap, but maybe every other week I do a little Wings rant like that. Uh, just give an update on the state of the team. Yeah, uh, I think that's a good plan. Uh, we're going to have to talk about something. It's obviously not the Detroit Pistons. Um, it seems like it won't be the Michigan State Spartans basketball team. So maybe we'll have to get creative. Um, while we're sitting here, I'll kind of quickly run this by. I haven't, I haven't let you know this separately, so maybe we'll get an organic thought here. But maybe next week we do kind of a quote-unquote review of maybe the rest of the NFL teams the way we did with the Lions. Obviously, we, we don't have to go as in-depth. We can just kind of see some major storylines from each team and talk about that. Um, thoughts? Yeah, maybe like we break down a, a division because 
we can't really, I feel like we can't really go deep, deep on all 30. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's obviously it won't be at the level where we went position group by position group. But we, I feel like we can definitely go through each team and say, hey, train wreck of a season. This guy popped or this guy didn't pop. Just something kind of a little bit more on the, the tip of the iceberg side as opposed to the deep dive that we did with the the, the Lions. Yeah, I, I think that that works. Um, I guess in other sports news, the only things I can think of um that Tennessee lawsuit I had talked about uh the preliminary injunction there you go Aaron your favorite word um (laughs) was granted in that lawsuit uh which basically means until the lawsuit is over and it's resolved on its merits uh teams are going to literally allow to pay for play uh so that's going to be a new development that's going to be take over in the next couple months here um you know with I know we're starting to get into spring football season and uh, as the tra- basketball ends their transfer portal season, something to look out for. Mm-hmm. Uh, also the Tigers start spring training. Um, they're no short of providing already their pathetic clips. I don't know if you saw the clip. It's no already one of the funniest things you'll ever see in their first spring training game, or maybe it was their second, first or second game. Uh, lazy fly ball kind of in between uh, center right field and like the shortstop and second base kind of in no man's land there. Okay. Uh, all four of them miss it, fall down. It hits one of their foot and shoots off into right farther into right field. Uh, and the guy goes around and scores an inside the park home run. Nice. So a great start to the tiger season already Go providing on. us with great clips on that one. Uh, I don't know. The Tigers are a weird one. They have a bunch of nice young pieces. They're still so far away. They just signed a nice third baseman. Uh, they needed that position last year. They signed a couple of arms that are depth guys in far, as far as the rotation. In the worst division in baseball, they should be right around 500, which we'll see if that's enough to win the Central. That's mm-hmm. my preview for the Tigers. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be able to give you anything more than that. Um, eat them up, Tigers. Rest in peace, that man's soul. But uh, I don't really have much more to say for this week. A little bit of a shorter episode as opposed to kind of the hour plus ones we've been doing in the last kind of couple months. But for me, last couple words, um, I have nothing else to say. I, I'm not going to say go green. They don't deserve it. Um, I'm going to say go Red Wings. You know, let's let's go on a playoff push and let's bring some important uh, sports back to Detroit. Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day is how cool the Lions was is just to, to bring back more playoff experiences if the Red Wings can do that this year. I'm not going to sit here and complain about it. Go Wings. Bye, guys.